Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Today's show is such an important topic, and we're going to get some idea of how important and how many Americans are impacted by what we're going to be talking about today a little bit later in the show. But we're going to be talking about how to protect your family from PFAS chemicals in your drinking water. Uh, A new laboratory test commissioned by the Environmental Working Group found that four water filters uh, reduce the detected forever chemicals known as PFAS in sample drinking water by nearly 100%. And our guest today who's going to be talking with us about this uh, this new test is Sydney Evans, and she's a senior science analyst for the Environmental Working Group. She focuses on cumulative risk and exposure analysis of drinking water contaminants across the U.S. And we are so pleased to have you back on the show, Sydney. It's been a minute. Um, I think the last time we had you on was back at the end of 2019, and so much has happened since then. So I'd like to begin by having you talk to us about what PFAS chemicals are. Some of our listeners may be new to this topic. Yeah, of course. And that's, of course, a great place to start, and it's good to be back. Um, So PFAS, P-F-A-S, is actually an acronym for a group of thousands of similar chemicals. They have this ability to repel oil and water, so they've been ubiquitously used in many industrial and consumer products um, really since the 1940s. Most people might know them from their original uses, making things like the Teflon and the Scotchgard coatings, but they're also used in a whole bunch of things now, so like performance clothing, food packaging, firefighting foams, and frankly, a whole lot more. Um, So the issue with PFAS is that those same properties that make it highly durable means that it basically lasts forever in the environment. They can travel really long distances through air and water, and they can accumulate in people um, that are exposed, which at this point is basically all of us. And that's a problem because they're pretty toxic at pretty low concentrations. Mm-hmm. And more so, this is this is not like a localized hotspot issue. PFAS is in the environment all around us because of all of these sources, and there are some pretty serious consequences. Well, and speaking of those serious consequences, talk to us a little bit about how PFAS impacts human health. Why is this something that we should all care about, particularly, you know, when we're trying to protect our families from chemical exposures? Yeah, and there's there's a, so much to dive into there because there have been so many studies since probably the early 2000s about all of the ways that PFAS are impacting health. So that really started with the C8 science panel, which was part of the settlement with DuPont, where um, this community had been, the water had been poisoned by the discharge of these PFAS chemicals. And so in studying this huge population, it was really like a landmark kind of epidemiological study. They found links to kidney cancer, testicular cancer, um, ulcerative colitis, thyroid disease, uh, and even high cholesterol levels. And since then, the studies have just been building and building and ongoing, looking at the entire, you know, uh, realm of PFAS chemicals. Um, and since then, there's been some more links to immunotoxicity, so uh, suppression of the immune system or reduced vaccine effectiveness. There's also been some, you know, maternal and reproductive outcomes, so reduced um, birth weight, slowed growth as a toddler, um, 
I'm trying to think. I think there was one on uh, that linked it to miscarriages. There, mm-hmm. There's uh, lower fertility, uh, pregnancy-induced hypertension. I mean, the list of studies goes on and on and on. And while I think a lot of people will hear, well, the jury's still out. We're still studying PFAS. That's all true. But I don't want people to misunderstand that we don't have decades of evidence at this point of how toxic PFAS are. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, there are a lot of communities across the U.S. that they already know uh, that PFAS is a problem in their drinking water. They know that their communities have a special problem with this. But there are a lot of communities that may just be waking up to this. And in fact, a recent study from the U.S. Geological Survey found that the pervasiveness of PFAS contamination in our nation's water supply is much greater than I think most folks may be aware of. So I'd love for you to spend a minute talking about their findings. Yes, there was a study that just came out from USGS about basically what they estimate the number of people to be impacted is. And so they use sampling across the United States to try and estimate how many people are actually exposed. And so they estimated 45% of the population Mm -hmm. is exposed to PFAS just in their drinking water. Um, Of course, that's still an estimate, and there are other estimates out there, but just the sheer realization that maybe hundreds of millions of people are going to be impacted in the United States alone just through drinking water is is huge. And to see a study like this is really a great push forward to understanding how many people are impacted. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us about how the USGS obtained the data that served as the foundation for this study and why is their methodology novel? So it was a really big testing project, right? Um, they tested both you know, water systems and private wells across the country. I think there were a total of 700 samples, which is not a ton when you're talking about the entire country, but it's a, it was a really big study, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they used that to model where the PFAS might be based on all the characteristics of these systems. And one of the biggest elements of novelty for this study is that inclusion of private well testing. Um, you know, I think listeners probably have different um, knowledge of how that's done uh, with all of the testing and monitoring, but most of the time private wells, if if you have your own private well that gets water into your household, there's really no, you know, federal oversight or protection for what's in that well, as opposed to a community water system that's subject to EPA regulations. So, Having the USGS study include some private wells in its testing and modeling was huge because really private wells are kind of a black box in the chemical contaminant of water world. And this Mm -hmm. study really added to a lot of existing knowledge. So there are some states that require some PFAS monitoring, a handful. Um, There's been some monitoring around like airports and military bases and all of these studies over the years have been necessary because there isn't currently any national level required monitoring of PFAS because it's not yet regulated. Hopefully we'll be in the, in the coming year, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's been around for decades and it's still not monitored. We are mm-hmm. anxiously awaiting the next kind of phase of this data, which is the EPA's unregulated contaminant monitoring rule, um, which is going to look at 29 PFAS in all the community water systems across the country serving, like, I think it's 3,300 people or more. So that's going to be huge. And the results, the first wave of results should come out sometime this year. And then when that uh, maximum contaminant level, that regulation of PFAS in drinking water is 
finally finalized, hopefully next year, we'll start seeing a much more robust level of data and people will really start understanding how widespread PFAS is. But until then, you know, the USGS study and some others are, that's the best we have. Well, it's interesting because in order to get some of this private well testing, I, you know, there was tap water being tested, which is interesting to me. And here's why, you know, in my city, we have a PFAS you know, contamination issue. And the water that comes out of my tap is an amalgamation of many different sources. Some of it's surface, some of it's groundwater, and it's from a multitude of wells, uh, some of which are contaminated, some of which are not. And so back in the fall of last year, I had my tap water tested for PFAS, and the results were very different than what we were being told um, was in our community water supply. Um, and, and that was testing, you know, that was done by water agencies at certain pinpoints. But that was not the same thing that was coming out of my tap. My tap had a different composition of PFAS chemicals, um, same chemicals, different uh, levels, um, and even some PFAS chemicals that my water agency wasn't testing for at the time. And so, you know, th there's one thing to, you know, have community testing, you know, community water testing that's done by water agencies and and getting their results out, that's important. But I think this issue of, of having tap water, what's actually coming into your home tested, is a whole new, you know, or at least a different data source. And I don't know how much of that is being done, you know, in terms of the source right in your home. Are you aware of, of how often that happens or how much data we have about actually what's coming out of people's taps? Yeah, that's going to depend. And you point out something really good, that blending of water. Um, so one of the studies that EWG actually did back in 2021 is we looked at home taps in the Northern Virginia area because uh, EWG is headquartered in D.C. And we found something really interesting that even though this large area in the northern part of Virginia in the, in the D.C. metropolitan area, um, you know, likely was presumably all getting water from just a handful of providers that we're all drawing from the Potomac River, we would expect that the PFAS concentrations would be similar. And we didn't know what they were supposed to be because there, there wasn't any information from the, the local water utilities. But when we looked, we saw that in some areas, there were almost like small hotspots of higher PFAS concentrations. And when we dug a little deeper, we realized it was because there was a secondary water source further south. It was a river or excuse me, in um, reservoir that was probably being contaminated by an airport or something upstream. And so knowing what's at the tap is really important and looking at all of these sources. And I think when we look on down the line, that's why the treatment is going to be so important too and why it's important mm -hmm. to get these chemicals regulated. Because if we can get PFAS out of the water to begin with, you know, the exact blending of these sources isn't going to matter as much because the water won't be contaminated because this is very much a man-made contamination. These are synthetic chemicals that do not exist naturally in the environment. Yep. Well said. I'm encouraged to see, uh, you know, with the USGS's large-scale study of the presence of PFAS in water, but what about the presence of PFAS in human bodies? You know, do you anticipate future studies that will help us gain more data about how PFAS is impacting human health based on serum levels or blood testing uh, in individuals? 
a lot of the health studies that have been done have been looking at, you know, the not only the exposures from, say, water or something like that, or in firefighters from firefighting foam, but um, from those serum levels, it's why we've been able to, you know, we as a general research community have been able to make the links between PFAS and some of these chemicals is because we can look at not only the exposure, but the levels in people. And all of those studies are finding that, you know, PFAS is in 99% of the population at some level. You know, those mm-hmm. levels are going to vary depending on exposure, but for most people to know that they have probably this chemical in their blood, um, that's maybe a little a little scary, a little concerning. I mean, even babies, because it can pass through the cord blood, babies are being born with PFAS already in their system, which is really upsetting when you look at all the potential reproductive effects, right? It's going to, it's going to pass to the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, talking about the future and looking at levels, um, I think what I would really like to see is studies of reduction efforts. I want to see, you know, once the MCL is passed and treatment is installed, once regulations start impacting the market on when and where PFAS can be used to see, it's going to be so exciting to see these levels in the population start to drop. Mm-hmm. Because while um, there are some chemical contaminants like PFOA and PFOS that aren't used as often mm-hmm. um, because of all of the research that went into studying them in the beginning, there are all these new contaminants. You know, those are dropping over time, but now are the mm-hmm. other, there are all these like shorter PFAS, like the other, you know, <laughs> absolutely of chemicals that have replaced them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to see, I can't wait to see that drop. Same here. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a clean world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Today, we're talking about how to protect your family from PFAS chemicals that are in your drinking water. We're joined by Sydney Evans, a senior science analyst for the Environmental Working Group. Um, and they just recently conducted some tests on water filters that uh, she's going to share the results of those tests and, and recommendations in just a moment. Um, Sydney, as I've mentioned, there's quite a bit of PFAS contamination in the groundwater in my city. And I've heard a lot of people say that they're just using the filtered water from their refrigerator. Is that adequate? And if not, why is that so? So we know from some previous research that was done, because we didn't, you know, in our study of, of countertop pitchers, we did not look at the ones in refrigerators specifically, but most of those are going to be probably some sort of granular activated carbon. And there's some research out there, even some recent research from, uh, there was a Duke study in 2000 that did show that those kinds of filters can reduce PFAS. But I don't know if I would call it adequate. They were kind of variable, right? Like some of, there was some level of reduction, but not a complete reduction. And I do want to say that, you know, less PFAS is absolutely better. If that's all you've mm -hmm. got, keep, keep going with it. Um, but I don't want people to realize, or excuse me, I do want people to realize that there still may be PFAS coming through that filter, that it's not fully protecting them. Gotcha. Now, the Environmental Working Group recently conducted tests on different types of water filters, including some that claim to reduce PFAS in drinking water. And, and I want to make sure our listeners understand your methodology um, and the credibility of your testing. Did the manufacturers supply their filters for testing or pay to have them tested? Help us understand EWG's process for doing this kind of a test. Sure. And that's a great question. Um, the companies did not pay EWG or send us their filters. Our team looked at what filters were on the market, and we really chose them and handpicked them strategically. We wanted some big household name brands in there. Um, we wanted some more niche products with special claims. We wanted to represent different price points and entry you know, into the market as far as water filter goes. And um, EWG largely funded by individual donations and then grants from charitable foundations, and that's what allows us to purchase all of the materials that we need, you know, not only the filters themselves, but all of the testing to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And that's a similar process that Consumer Reports um, implements, and that's why people trust, um, you know, the, the independence and the credibility of their, of their recommendations. So I just wanted to highlight mm -hmm. that for our listeners. So EWG recently recommended four home filtration systems that remove about 100% of PFAS. And I'd love to give you a chance to kind of go through the pros and cons of each because I know that our listeners are really concerned about this issue and they, they're going to want to know what you found with each of these. So let's start with Travel Berkeley Water Filter. Pros and cons. Yeah, sure. So for um, these kind of top three, I'll just, or I guess four, I'll throw out that um, we recommend all of them because they were highly effective on PFAS. They've all got different pros and cons. So 
starting from that baseline. The travel Berkey um, was nice because it's one of the biggest filters that we tested, which means you don't have to refill it all that often. Often, when we compared after filtering 10 gallons through it of, of real tap water actually contaminated by PFAS as well as some other contaminants, um, you know, we really wanted to see how it was performing in a home environment. And we did not detect any PFAS in the finished water from the filter as opposed to the tap, which had about 45 to 50 parts per trillion PFAS before. So that was a great reduction to be able to not detect any. Um, it is one of the most expensive filters that we tested up front, but the filter life on these is supposed to be crazy long compared to some of the others. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at an upfront investment, it's going to be one of the more affordable filters because those filters last so long with maintenance. Um, And it is the only non-plastic filter we tested. Mm, Okay, that's a big one. All right, let's go to the next one. Clearly filtered water pitcher with affinity filtration technology. Pros and cons. This was another good one, another one where we could not detect PFAS in the filtered water compared to the tap. Um, I, you know, we tried to put in some use notes in there as well. I was one of the testers. I handled all 10 of these filters extensively. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the nice things about this one is that it's completely clear. So it's easy to see where the water level is at and when you need to refill it. It was a little slow. It took a really long time to filter, which while, you know, it's an effective filter, using it on a day-to-day basis. We want people to actually use the filters and, and mm-hmm. understand which one's going to work best for them. So if, if you're not a patient person, like uh, like I I cannot claim <laughs> a lot of patients, maybe this isn't the one for you, but it was highly effective also. Awesome. The next one that, that got high marks with you all was the Zero Water 7-Cup 5-Stage Ready Pour Water Filter Pitcher. Talk to us about the pros and cons. This is the last one that had a full 100% reduction of PFAS in the filtered water. Um, And it was interesting. This one claims to use uh, ion exchange in addition to some proprietary media to do Mm -hmm. the filtering. So maybe that's why it works. And it was also one of the most affordable of the most effective filters um, to buy up front. I think it was only about $25 somewhere in that ballpark to buy the pitcher and the first filter. However, the catch here is that the filter has an extremely small life. So the manufacturer says that it's only good for about 20 gallons, and then you have to replace the filter. So over time, if you're filtering a lot of water, say for you know a family of four, it, that cost is going to add up. So it just kind of depends on um, you know how much water that you need to filter and and how much you can afford to spend up front versus in the long term. Gotcha. And then uh, another one that got high marks was Epic Pure Pitcher. Tell us about the pros and cons. Yeah, this one, um, what was kind of the, it was a tester favorite. Uh, It was one of my favorites to actually use, to sit there and and pour 10 gallons through all of these water filters and take the samples and everything. Um, It was one of our tester favorites for a number of reasons. It had 98% reduction. There was a very small amount of PFAS still detected in the filtered water, um, which is why it doesn't, you know, rank quite as highly with the others, but it was still very, very close. Um, And and whether that was just kind of an offshoot or whether we, you know, if we took a bunch of samples from the other filters, whether we would see that kind of variability as well is also possible. Um, But like the clearly, it was completely clear. So it was nice to be able to see the water levels. And then one thing that I want to dive into is with a lot of these filters that were more effective or have special proprietary media to do better filtration, um, 
there's a priming process with the filter. So it's not like with, um, like I'm most familiar with probably the Brita and Amazon where you just kind of drop the filter in, you want to run some water through it, and then it's good to go, you're ready after you dump that first pitcher out. But mm-hmm. with a lot of these, you have to like hook them up to the sink and like force some water through and like prime them essentially uh, before you're able to use them. And that can be kind of a finicky process. Um, you know, it, it's not that, it's just a couple of extra minutes. Uh, but the, it wasn't always easy. I ended up getting uh, a little wet with some of these filters <laughs> spraying myself with water on accident. But that was one of the reasons we liked the Epic so much is because it was so effective. It's pretty mid-range as far as cost. It's a little more affordable. But it was also really easy to set up that filter for something that was so effective. Um, and it wasn't going to have any challenges for people with accessibility issues if they have low hand strength or something like that. Um, they would still be able to use the Epic Pitcher. Mm, good to know. And I want to point out to our listeners that if you're having trouble finding any of these uh, items, you can find them on the EWG.org website. Um, in, in the study that they did, they linked to ways to buy each of these. Now, you also have some great information on other products that didn't achieve 100% elimination of PFAS, but have their own benefits. And I'd like to give you a chance to talk about the pros and cons of these. And the first one was Pure Plus 7-Cup Pitcher. Yes. So for, we wanted to make sure that all of the information that we, you know, tested from the filters was out there. We wanted people to know, you know, well, I already have a Brita. I already have a Pure. How does it perform compared to the others? And so we have all of that information listed on the study on our website so that people understand because, you know, maybe some of these other filters that have a higher price point or a longer cost over the course of their life over a year replacing the filters, maybe that's not accessible to everyone. And like I said earlier about the fridge filters, some reduction is better than nothing. So just mm-hmm. letting people know, you know, if, if that's not in their budget, one of the more proprietary fancy filters, you know, countertop pitchers to that more effective at reducing PFAS, but these are an option. Um, so the Pure was up there. It was about 80% reduction, which was which is pretty good. Um, and But it did have another slow filtration time. So similar mm-hmm. to the Clearly, that was a little bit frustrating for me as, mm-hmm. as a user. Yeah. How about the Brita filter pitcher, the six cup? So we tested two Britas. We had the standard Brita and the Brita Elite filter, both in the same pitcher. So when we looked at the standard one, um, you know, that one's so easy. Everybody's really familiar with it. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned when I was talking about the comparison, you know, setting it up is super easy. You just drop the filter in and you get it going. They're available everywhere. They're really accessible and they're pretty affordable. So that's pretty good. Um, but it only had a 66 percent percent reduction of PFAS in the water. And then really interestingly, that Brita Elite filter we struggled with. It it had the lowest out of all 10. It was only a 22% reduction, which is really quite Hmm. low. Um, And we thought that was interesting. And and through just, you know, some uh, educated guesses, I guess, uh, we think that what happened was that Elite filter in multiple cases wasn't fitting perfectly. It kept popping out. So we think actually Mm. some unfiltered water leaked past the filter rather than it being an issue with the filter itself. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still not doing that great. So um, that Mm -hmm. was an interesting surprise. What about the AquaGear filter pitcher and the Amazon Basics pitchers? Uh, Tell us a little bit more about those. 
So those ranged between about, it was 54% reduction for Amazon and 65% reduction for AquaGear. Um, and these were similar. The Amazon operated a lot like the Brita pitcher. It's supposed to be Brita compatible, I think, is one of the things it's advertised as. Um, so 50%, once again, better than nothing. And it's it's pretty affordable. But it's still going to leave you with half the amount of PFAS in your drinking water. So you're still going to get some exposure. Um, the aqua year I thought was interesting because one of the biggest concerns, of course, with all of this is, is the packaging and the um, replacement of the filters. And if anyone has, you know, concerns for the environment about making that waste, um, the used filters with aqua gear come with a free recycling program, which I thought was really mm. nice as somebody who's trying to be environmentally conscious. Um it yeah. is another one of those, though, the aqua gear that has to be pressure primed with the faucet, which could be, you know, a little complicated, a little messy. Um, <laughs> and then it has a really interesting lid that makes it hard to know when it's getting full. And I know I overflowed it at least once when I was trying to do some <laughs> of this testing. Um, so maybe not my favorite. But once again, you know, if you're just looking for something or you already have the filter, it is going to reduce PFAS some. There's one more that you guys tested, the Seychelles Gen 2 Dual PH2O Pure Water Pitcher. Talk to us about that one. So this one was interesting. It was the same, um, it had the same lid design as the Aqua Gear, where, if I'm completely honest, it feels a little silly, but it reminded me of an airplane toilet, the way that you fill it up, <laughs> like the little flap at the top. Um, it was just kind of strange, and it was hard to know when it was actually full when you were filling it up. Um, this is another one that had to be pressure primed at the faucet. And then just for the expense, it only had a 48% reduction of PFAS. So I don't know... Um, you know, if, if this was my favorite, I think this Seychelles filter had some other special claims, like maybe it um, alkalized the water a little bit or added some minerals, something like that. So maybe if, if that's something that matters to you, maybe this is the filter for you. But overall, for the cost and that low reduction and, and just the not being super easy to use, it was definitely not my favorite. Quick question for you. You know, people always wonder, well, how much capacity am I going to need? Should I just be filtering water I'm going to drink or should I be filtering water I'm going to cook with? What's your recommendation on that? I think if, if you can, um, the drinking definitely, cooking also would be good um, okay. because this is something where, you know, a lot of people have like the boil water notices if something happens to their drinking water and boiling sure. your water is not going to do anything for PFAS. Nope. It might kill off pathogens, but the PFAS is still going to be in the drinking water. Um, so if you're using it, that same water to cook, you might want to filter that water as well gotcha. because ultimately okay. you're going to be ingesting whatever's in that water. Perfect. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you're with us today. This is a great topic, and we're getting some great information. If you just tuned in, let me catch you up. We're talking about how to protect your family from PFAS exposure, particularly in your drinking water. And during the last segment, our guest, Sydney Evans, a senior science analyst with the Environmental Working Group, walked us through um, the results of a recent test that they did on several uh, water filter systems uh, that have various claims about PFAS reduction, and she gave us the lowdown on exactly what is going on with these products, and it was it was a great segment. Sydney, of all the ways that people can be exposed to PFAS, does research show that ingesting it in drinking water is the most impactful or not so much? So I think that's a hard question to answer with just a yes or no, but if we think about it, you know, drinking water is one of the most direct, one of the most measurable, and day-to-day, one of the most consistent sources of exposure for a huge number of people across the United States. Depending on where you are and who you are and what products you use, you know, drinking water may not be the, the main contributor to your body burden of PFAS, but it's one of the most widespread and consistent because everybody's got to drink water and you can't really control where your tap water comes from, right? You, mm-hmm. you have your tap and that's it and the utility that provides it. But there are some other places that people could be exposed to PFAS significantly. Um, some biggest of the biggest ones are like carpeting and carpet treatments, um, sealants, textiles and upholstery, anything that's been treated to be stain resistant. Um, there's actually quite a bit of clothing that has PFAS in it. And then we can have things like food contact paper, or even floss, um, nonstick mm. cookware, lots of personal care products, and then even food. Um, EWG actually had a study looking at in some areas where people are, are fishing and consuming the food where the, the waters, the surface waters are highly contaminated by PFAS, that fish can be a major contributor to your body burden. Mm. But that's not something that's going to affect the vast majority of people. It's going to highly affect some people. So if if that makes sense, I think drinking water is one of those areas where we can make the biggest change by giving a lot of the people the same advice, if that makes sense. 
It totally makes sense. Thank you for that. Now, besides reducing or eliminating PFAS from our drinking water, which is a big focus right now, which I'm so appreciative for all the folks working on the front lines of, of that work, what are some other ways that everyday people can reduce our exposure to PFAS chemicals? Yeah, I'll say I will, of course, give people tips, right? I think I'm sure everybody listening wants to know what they can do at this point. Um, and there are some things. But I want to say that, it's, frankly, as a consumer, it's really, really hard. And I don't want anybody to walk away feeling like they have full responsibility for their exposure to PFAS because that's not the case. Ultimately, mm-hmm. that burden, you know, comes to the to the companies that are using it and, and the government that should be regulating it. But... If you want to reduce your exposure, some good ways to do that, um, of course, filtering water. We've been talking about that this mm-hmm. whole time. Um, but you can also skip the nonstick cookware. Use, you know, cast iron or stainless steel instead. I'm a huge fan, I have to say. Um, skipping the Me takeout. Too. You know, I mean, that's healthier, generally speaking. And if you are going to do takeout with the wrappers, not storing your food in those containers, giving the PFAS in the wrapping opportunity to migrate into the food. Um and then another one, it's, it's hard, but if you look for that stain repellent labeling, if anything is advertised as fully stain-proof, waterproof, grease-proof, there's a good chance that PFAS is being used. It's not, it's not a guarantee. And then, of course, if there isn't any labeling, that's definitely not a guarantee that PFAS isn't used, which is where mm-hmm. it starts getting complicated. But those are a few steps that you can take. And then also looking at the labeling on your personal care products. If it has something like PTFE or a fluoro something-something ingredient, um, those are likely to have PFAS in them as well. So that's obviously a lot of things for this one chemical to look out for. And I just want people to be aware that it's, it's pretty hard to shop your way out of this. And that's why on the other end of things, we're trying to make some regulatory change. And there's been a lot of movement in that direction to get PFAS out of some of these products so you don't have to worry about it in the first place. Right. And actually, we've been covering that on Go Green Radio. We've had folks from Minnesota, folks from Washington State, some legislators from California who have all been on the forefront of some of that legislative work. And they always bring up Environmental Working Group as a partner. And so we love you guys. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're definitely tracking that. And, And again, appreciative for everybody who's on the front lines of those battles. Now, my next question, we could spend an entire hour on, um, but I'm going to ask you to kind of uh, fit a watermelon into a Coke bottle um, in answering this. But what is the EPA doing about PFAS and and how is EWG involved? Yeah, so EWG, I've been at the organization for uh, almost five years now, not quite. And EWG has been working on this issue for way longer than I've been around, um, advocating on behalf of getting these contaminants regulated and out of our bodies and out of our environment. And as of March of this year, the EPA finally (laughs) unveiled some (laughs) unprecedented new limits on the, you know, these forever chemicals um, to, to try and tackle the drinking water contamination. So what they're doing is proposing to regulate in drinking water six of the most notorious PFAS. So the two legacy ones, PFOA and PFOS, and mm-hmm. another group of four that includes Gen X that will be regulated potentially as a group. So these maximum contaminant levels will be the maximum allowed in drinking water, which means all of the water systems will have to monitor for them. And then, of course, in, you know, install treatment where necessary to bring those concentrations down. Um, So the limits do take into account, you know, the the cost and the feasibility. Um, 
But these MCLs that, once again, are not finalized yet, but hopefully will be by next year, are really, really low. Um, it's, it's something that EWG is fully in support of seeing this kind of action on PFAS finally. You know, it's mm-hmm. maybe uh, a, a little later than we would have liked, but to see the EPA move on this is really great because um, even though there are plenty of contaminants in drinking water that are not regulated and yet linked to health impacts, the EPA hasn't regulated a new contaminant in something like two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see this come through is is huge. Um, and just pointing out, the EPA has known about the risks of PFAS since at least the 1990s, so they were pretty overdue for this. Um, And this is something that EWG has been strongly advocating for for a really long time. Well, it's taken a generation. I mean, a whole generation of Americans has suffered exposure waiting for these regulations. So I hear a lot of water agencies and a lot of, you know, some of our veteran citizens saying, well, you know, what's the big deal? We've been doing this all along. And, you know, is this really a problem? Yes, it's a problem. Yes, we've known about it. And it's high time um, that we get get to work on this because um, a whole generation of Americans have been contaminated uh, while we waited. So thank you, EWG, and everybody else who's been working with the EPA to get her done. Now, a new article on your website, I know that you briefly discussed uh, the impact that PFAS exposure has during pregnancy and has for mothers and, and their young children, but I'd like to spend some time talking a little bit more about that information, about how PFAS exposure during pregnancy can impact mother and child. Sure. So a lot of the um, kind of earlier studies had links to things that develop over long periods of time, say take cancer, for instance, right? So the concentrations that you could be exposed to that would raise your risk for cancer are quite low, right? But it takes years or decades for cancer to show up. And then the longer the period of exposure and the higher the concentration of exposure, the higher that risk is. But when we're talking about things like pregnancy, that becomes a little more urgent, a little more immediate, because that's such a small window. When you're talking about decades of life, pregnancy is just that nine-month window. And to know that the the pregnant people, when they're exposed and have PFAS in their bodies, that's going to have a potentially a lasting impression on, you know, the, the child that they will eventually have. So there are things like... Um, and, and uh, the maternal health as well. So things like preeclampsia or um, there, there, I think there was links to miscarriage, um, but then also for the baby, links to low birth weight. Um, eventually, if they were exposed prenatally, they might have reduced effectiveness of their of their child vaccines when they're growing up. Um, and then, of course, the long-term impact. So this person, imagine this baby is born already with PFAS in their system. They might have suffered some impacts from that, for example, the low birth weight. Um, but then they're going to go on and have, you know, that reduced effectiveness of some of their vaccines, making them more likely to get sick. But then you have this kind of double whammy, I guess, of not only are they going to have lasting impacts because of the links of increased health effects from, for example, being low birth weight or being born preterm throughout their life, they're also, unless, you know, something changes, which hopefully it will, 
they're about to have a lifetime of exposure to PFAS mm-hmm. through their drinking water as well. You know, unless, until we tackle some of the environmental contamination, it just starts compounding, right? And then imagine mm-hmm. that that person grows up still exposed to PFAS. They're still dealing all, with all those issues. And, um, you know, they, they get pregnant as well. We're looking at a smaller window of exposure there with such lasting impacts. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of more recent links. So, um it's also been harm to the male reproductive system. I feel like that's not talked about so much, but that's something that's been linked um, just to overall fertility as well. Well, and, and that's something that, you know, the, to quantify the cost of that, to quantify the suffering involved with that is just so difficult to say, except that we know mm-hmm. that PFAS is a bioaccumulative toxin. And so, um, you know, it doesn't just enter the child's body and wash its way out. It's going to build up over time. And th- this is just, well, it's horrifying um, to think about um, th- these kinds of ramifications. But um, I'm glad that EWG and the EPA are getting hot on this and, and getting some, some action taken. We're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have so much more with Sydney Evans from EWG. Don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're joined today by Sydney Evans, a senior science analyst with the Environmental Working Group. I make no bones about it. I'm a big fan of the Environmental Working Group, and I hope you get out on their website, ewg.org. They do amazing work. Now, Sydney, EWG does so much more than just work on PFAS issues, and I'd love to give you a chance to talk a bit about the topics your organization works on. Give our listeners a reason to check out your website, ewg.org. 
I could probably spend the whole time that we had discussing <laughs> all the various topics. Well, we take your through, time. I, I think yeah. I'll try. Yeah, I'll try and keep it to what I think is most relevant to our listeners. So I think some of the most useful things, um, things that I use in my day-to-day life, uh, we have a couple da- databases specifically for, you know, the wider world, the public consumers. So we have the EWG tap water database where you can go find all of the details about what's in your tap water. We have the EWG skin deep database, which allows you to search personal care products for what's in them and how safe it actually is. And then we have a whole bunch of other guides. So we have like the cleaners guides, we have sunscreen guides, we have the shopper's guide to pesticides and produce along with the dirty dozen and clean 15, which people might be familiar with. Um, And then if you want to dive a little deeper, I think a, a great place to at least a lot of the work that I and my team do, we have an entire page dedicated to our peer-reviewed science. So all of the peer-reviewed published studies that we have done in journals, um, either completely internally or with other you know, academic researchers, there's a whole page dedicated to that, as well as to testing projects. So like the filter testing that we did, anything where we have collected samples and done any testing ourselves, we have a whole page dedicated to all those projects. And that's just a tiny piece compared to all of the news we put out the studies that we talk about, the reviews that we do. I mean, there's so much to dive into on all kinds of different topics about, you know, just environmental health, human health, public health, and what the impacts are. Well, and you also have ways of of getting involved with advocacy issues. Um, And I'd love for you to just give us a little snippet of how people, you know, who are visiting your website might be able to get involved. Yeah, so just on our website, there's usually always something where we um, are asking for people's support and views and help and voice. So there's always some kind of petition or some kind of action you can get involved in on our website. I think the most recent one that I saw was talking about how um, there's some regulation underway allowing for some PFAS industries, PFAS using industries, to have loopholes in in some of these laws that are being set. Um, So we want people's voice on a petition to say, like, no, don't do that, you know. So Mm -hmm. that's one way just with us. But then individually, so let's go back to PFAS, right? Um, So contacting your representative. Just telling them, hey, I'm aware of this issue. Were you aware of that? This is something I care about. Um, letting your favorite brands know if they're using PFAS in their products or if they're not specifically saying they're not using PFAS in their products, let them know. It feels kind of silly sometimes to write this big company and tell them, hey, I don't like that you use PFAS in your products. But if we have hundreds to thousands of people doing that, those brands listen. Because that's mm-hmm. one of the ways that EWG has been able to make some major change when regulation is so slow is that we have people vote with their dollars, you know, where you have a choice going with that brand or that product that is being better for human health and the environment, that market change is real. And that sometimes happens a lot faster than any kind of regulation. And then, of course, we have all kinds of ways and advice for you can, you know, to take steps to protect yourself at home. I love it. And and I feel like our listeners are prone to doing those kinds of things. And we've talked about this in the past. It may seem kind of old school to send letters or send emails to elected officials at every level. It doesn't even have to be state or federal. Let me tell you something. If right. you've got PFAS in your local groundwater, giddy up on your city council's website and email them all. Come to the meetings and talk to about talk to them about it. I mean, it really does make a difference. Really does. I don't know it if does. you have more to add on that, Sydney, but I, I've seen it with my own eyes. 
Yeah, and I just to, you bring up a really good point is that, you know, a water utility can take action faster than an entire state can. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen individual utilities starting to combat specific contamination on their own. And then at the state, there are a handful of states in the United States that have made their own PFAS regulation in advance of the national regulation. So, yeah. like you said, you don't have to start at the national level, just your community or your state. That's, you know, and that building pressure is led to this proposed national regulation. And that's where it started, you know? Absolutely. I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit, Sydney, because um, we have a lot of listeners who are young adults early in their career. They listen to Go Green Radio because they really care about being part of creating a more sustainable, healthy, and just world. And so sometimes we have some real VIPs like yourself, people who are doing that, who are in those kinds of careers that our young adults would love to have. And I don't want to miss the chance for you to give them some career advice. You know, a lot of them are like, what do I see? study? What do I do? How do I get into a job like Sydney has? So take a minute and, and, and give this, give them some career advice. Sure. So I, I think because there are so many different ways that you could get to a position like I have, or I'm a, a science analyst at a nonprofit. So um, I actually have uh, an MPH, a master's of public health, specializing in environmental health, and then a BA in chemistry as well. So that was my personal path. But there are a lot of ways. I mean, my colleagues, I, we have toxicologists, we have actually an immunologist, we have uh, somebody who has a PhD in chemistry that, you know, really focuses on PFAS. So there are a lot of ways. And then that's just the science part. That's if you want to dive into the research. But but maybe that's not your thing and you still want to have some sort of impact. It takes so many people to make EWG a successful organization. And so not only do we have our science teams, our extensive science teams, but we also have, you know, lawyers and government affairs specialists that really dive into the advocacy and regulation. And then behind the scenes, we have whole teams of, you know, media relations and uh, social media people, and we have our admin staff. And, you know, I mean, there's so many people that we have graphic designers, you know, that help make our website beautiful and attractive and easy to understand. Um, And so there are a lot of ways you could take really any career path and make it apply to this sustainable world. You know, you can take whatever you love most or the skills that you have and get into this world without directly doing the science, right? But of course, the science, of course, I will vouch for, you know, it's very exciting to be an analyst on this team and I definitely recommend it for anybody interested. I love it. Thank you so much for that, Sydney. You know, I, as an aside, I'm I'm a veteran of the U.S. Navy, and we've heard a lot about you know DoD sites, Department of Defense sites having PFAS exposure. Can you give us just a quick highlight, high level view of of how they're doing in removing PFAS from military sites? It's been, I think I would characterize it as slow. Um, so one of the biggest complaints that we have is that the DOD doesn't always notify the communities near bases where the water is contaminated with PFAS. And, you know, there are more than, I think, 400 DOD installations and surrounding communities contaminated by PFAS, and not one of these installations has actually been cleaned up. And DOD warns that it could take decades to clean up these sites. But why? You know, I think the military communities and those that live near these DOD sites deserve better. 
yeah. I mean, we can we can charge a hill um, very quickly. We know how to do things fast in the military, um, and, and maybe maybe we can apply those same principles to this crisis. We have just about a minute left, Sydney, and I'd love to give you a chance to share any parting thoughts with our listeners. What would you like to leave them with? I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for having me and giving me the time to talk about all of this. And I would encourage people, if they have time, to go look at our website and dive into all the details, whether there was a filter that, you know, they really are interested in learning more about or they need, you know, some more background on PFAS or checking out the tap water database because PFAS is not the only thing in your tap water. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really great site with a lot of resources. I would recommend people go take a look. It sure is. It's EWG.org. Thank you, Sydney, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us as well. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.